Amen. Please do take a seat. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, the band. It's uh, great to be worshipping with you this morning. It's quite warm in here, isn't it? It's quite warm. Just turn to the person next to you and say, don't worry, I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> as, um, as, uh, as Anna said last week, one of the things that Josh said about the work and the person of the Holy Spirit was that he reveals Jesus to us. And that's my prayer. That's what, as I was preparing this morning, Aaron said I could have a freebie. I could talk about anything that I wanted to do. And so I thought about talking about mildew uh, but, uh, in, from the Old Testament. But we're not going to do that. <laughs> no, don't worry. We're going to talk about revealing Jesus. Um, and just to, just to kind of give you a bit of an understanding as to how I came to talk about this. Uh, I don't go to the cinema very often, but I was there a few weeks ago. And I was enduring the adverts before the film. And I must be getting old because I don't understand any of them. Um, I, 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 you know, you think that you're watching a film, an advert for shoes, and it turns out to be an advert for a car. Um, I didn't understand, but there was one that I understood. Uh, and you may have seen it, I'll describe it to you. There was a man, he gets a new flat screen television. He brings it home, he puts it in his living room, and he sets his white cap next to it. Uh, and he turns on the television, and for some reason they start watching the screensaver. They don't actually watch a programme, they just have something on the screen. And the cat looks at this television and goes, wow. And the man looks at the cat, and the cat looks at the man, and the man says, did you just say wow? And the cat doesn't say anything. So the man picks the cat up, takes him outside, and he takes him to all sorts of different activities. He takes him underwater, he takes him to a carnival, he takes him to all sorts of exciting things to try and get the cat to say wow again. Nothing. Brings him home, puts him in front of the television, cat looks at the screensaver and goes, wow. The astonished cat. I think this morning God wants to talk to us about being astonished by Jesus. He wants us to think about what it is to be astonished by Jesus. And there's a word in Greek that um, refers to that. Uh, and it means to have your mind blown. It means to be out of your mind with astonishment. It means, as the cat would say, wow. wow. It's an amazing thing. We find it in Mark chapter 7, um, after Jesus has healed a deaf man. And people say, wow, they are amazed, they are astonished by what Jesus has done. And it is right, and it is proper, and it is appropriate that we spend time, when we see a healing, when we see a miracle, when we see a dramatic experience of God's power breaking into the here and now and changing lives forever, uh, that is worthy of a wow, isn't it? It's worthy of an, that's an amazing God that we worship. But the same word that is used for the wow of Jesus' healing is also used, not very often in the New Testament, but occasionally, to describe people's reactions to the teachings of Jesus, to the words of Jesus. And I found myself asking myself a question as we start this morning, and that is, am I as amazed and astonished and wowed by the words of Jesus as I am by the actions of Jesus? Because the two should go side by side. We need to be wowed by what Jesus says and by what Jesus does. We need to be amazed by the spirit of power that comes to heal and restore and the teaching that Jesus gives which transforms our lives and our hearts and our minds. And so this morning I want us to think about that. In Matthew chapter 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus has spent a lot of time teaching it says the people were astonished at his authority because he didn't teach like the other teachers of the law. There's something this morning that Jesus wants to reveal to us, to you 
that is astonishing, that changes our lives, it changes our mindset, it changes the way we think. Are we open to that this morning? And so if you've got a Bible with you, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 19, just a few verses in Matthew chapter 19. I'm going to pick it up at verse 23. But just to give you a bit of context, Jesus has been, is traveling to Jerusalem uh, to die on a cross. And he has various encounters. He meets some uh, Pharisees. He meets some parents who want to bring their children to him. He has an encounter with his disciples and has an opportunity to teach them. And then he meets this rich young ruler. And this ruler comes to him and he says, Jesus, what must I do to, to get eternal life? Jesus says, well, you need to keep the commandments. And the man says, I've done that. And then Jesus says, in that case, you need to sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And at that point, the man becomes sad and walks away. And as far as we know, he decides not to follow Jesus. And then the disciples, it says in verse 25, it says the disciples are astonished because Jesus says it's going to be really hard for people like that to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not just rich people, people who want to hold on to the things that are important to them and put them above God and above Jesus. He says it's really hard. If you want to hold on to things, it's really hard for you to follow Jesus. And the disciples are astounded, it says. They're astonished. They're blown out of their mind, as the cat would say. Wow. And he says, they say, well, for goodness sake, Jesus, if this guy over here who's kept the commandments, he's a really good guy, he's rich, which in those days meant he experienced the favor of God, if he can't enter the kingdom of God, what help is there for us? How on earth are we going to be saved? How are we going to enter into relationship with God? And then Peter, as Peter often does, gets, gets foot, puts in mouth, and he says, we have given up everything. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. He looks at this rich young ruler walking away and says, we have given up everything, Jesus. What do we get? And at that point, I would expect Jesus to go something like, oh, Peter, for goodness sake, you still don't get it. But he doesn't. He, 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 he teaches Jesus, he teaches the disciples, and he says some amazing things. So let's pick it up at verse 28. And just, I just want us to meditate and think about these verses just slowly and gradually this morning. Peter, in verse 27, says, We've given up everything to follow you. What will we get out of it? Jesus replied, I assure you that when I, the Son of Man, sit upon my glorious throne in the kingdom, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Let's just pause there for a moment, because that's a slightly strange thing to say. Jesus is not rebuking Peter for asking, what am I going to get out of it? What, is it worth following you, Jesus? And some of you this morning may have that question. Is it worth following Jesus? Is it worth it? And Jesus says to him something astonishing. He says, I assure you. Now, the word in Greek for that is amen. And when Jesus says amen, he means, let it be so, or it will be so. When we say a prayer, at the end of it, we will say Amen. And it means, I agree with that prayer, I would like that to be so. When Jesus says amen, he says, it will be so. And if you want to think about that, if you want to follow that up after the service or during the weeks to come, just read through the Gospel of John. 25 times at least, Jesus says, 
amen, and then says something. And he says something usually that's going to blow the disciples' minds. He's going to say something completely transformative that they haven't thought of before. It's a code word saying, pin back your ears, folks. Something really important is coming. In John chapter 3, he says to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, verily, amen. Unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Wow, that was an amazing thing to say. So Jesus is saying something really important, and he's saying to his disciples, there will come a time when the world is made new, when I, the Son of Man, a term that Jesus uses to refer to himself, when I come back and I am ruling and reigning and judging. So far, so good. And you will rule and reign and judge with me. If you are my followers. Wow. If you are my followers, you will rule and reign and judge with me. And because we have the Holy Spirit, we don't have to sit around twiddling our thumbs, waiting for Jesus to come back. We can start co-ruling with God now. If you're a follower of Jesus. Ruling, reigning, judging. Now, before you put your hand up to hang on a minute, that sounds a bit judgmental. Um, I don't mean being judgmental. I don't mean going around telling people, you're wrong, you're wrong, you should change. That's not that kind of judging. Uh, and I was trying to think of a way of explaining it to myself that made sense. So uh, let me try this. When we go out for a walk in the countryside, one of the things Liz is really good at is we'll be walking through the countryside and she'll see, she might see a piece of litter on the floor. And she'll go and she'll pick it up and she'll put it in her pocket and take it home. In my mind, you could just say, well, that's good citizenship, which it is. But in my mind, that's a very simple example of co-ruling and judging. Because what she's actually doing is she's walking through God's beautiful creation, the creation that God has made, and she sees something that's not right. She sees something that's spoiling it that shouldn't be there. And she uses the gifts, the abilities, the talents, the strength, the, the judgment, the discernment that she has to say, that's not right. I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to take it home. I'm going to put that little bit of creation back how it should be. That's what it means to co-rule with Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you get to co-rule. You get to judge. You get to make decisions about your behavior, about whether you bring life and whether you bring light and whether you bring hope and whether you bring transformation and whether you partner with God in bringing hope into our hopeless world. You get to partner with God about things that you say as to whether you bring truth into a world where truth is in short supply. So Jesus says, yes, it's worth following me because number one, you get to co-rule in the here and now. You get to work with me in restoring the world to how it's supposed to be. And then one day, Jesus will return and we won't have to worry about judging what's right and wrong because everything will be right. And we get to join in with things that Adam and Eve used to do back in Genesis, where they, just, they had to work out the names of the animals and they just created a flourishing environment. We will get to do that too. But for now, we need to partner with God in judging and co-ruling. So that's number one thing. As the cat said, wow. The second thing that Jesus says to Peter in answer to this question, is it worth following you, Jesus, is this. In verse 29, he says, everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return. Just pause there for a minute. Jesus is saying, I know sometimes following me comes at a cost. Sometimes people will have to give up family, 
There will be a cost sometimes in following Jesus. Sometimes it affects our relationships with our friends and our families. Sometimes it affects our property or our money or our finances or our business because we can't do things that we would normally do because the ethics aren't quite right. Sometimes we have to give up, uh, people have to give up their home. They have to move home because, or country because they are followers of Jesus. I was struck this morning actually by uh, Genesis chapter 12 where God says to Abraham, you need to go and you need to give up your, and it says you need to give up your property, your kindred and your home. It's the same thing to follow Jesus. You might need to give up things like the rich young ruler wasn't able to do. But, he says, you will, if you've given up those things for my sake, you will receive a hundred times more. A hundred times. Now, that's not a mathematical thing, in case you're wondering. Except, right, I've given up this, 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 and this, so times that by a hundred, and I will get this, this, and this. It's not that kind of economy. It's basically saying it's immeasurable. It's enormous. It's uncalculable. It's abundant. The rewards you will get for following Jesus, ultimately. Maybe not today, but one day it will be recognized. And that, to me, as the cat says, is... Wow. There wasn't a cat here, by the way. I just made the cat up. It wasn't in the Bible. But then, having dealt so gently with Peter, to Peter's question and the rich young ruler's question, what do I get? How do I get eternal life? He says in the second half of verse 29, and you will inherit eternal life. Eternal life is another word for salvation, is another word for being part of the kingdom of God, is another word for having a good relationship with God, is another word for being part of the family of God, is another word for being a child of God. You inherit it. You don't earn it. You are given it. You don't deserve it. You receive it. And there are some of us here this morning that maybe just need to hear that again or for the first time. You can't earn God's love. You don't even deserve God's love in your own strength. That doesn't matter because he wants to give it to you. He wants you to inherit it. And then Jesus goes on in verse 20, uh, chapter 20, which we don't have time to read in full, but there's this really bizarre parable that Jesus tells about the parable of the vineyard workers. You may know it. In short, there's a vineyard and the manager needs workers for the vineyard. So he goes out early in the morning and he gets, he sees, he goes to this pool of workers and he brings some workers back and he says, if you work here for the day, I'll pay you a day's wage. And off they, off they set. And then at nine o'clock in the morning, he goes back to the pool and he brings some more workers back. And then he goes back at noon, he goes back at three and he goes back at five o'clock in the afternoon and there's still a few folks standing around waiting for a job and he says, come on, you can come in and work in the vineyard. And so you've got this group of workers working away. Some of them have been there all day. Some of them have been for an hour. The end of the day comes and the manager says, right, here's your salaries. And starting with the ones who came last, he gives them exactly the same wage until he gets to the people who have been there all day. Some of you may be thinking, and certainly the people listening to that story would have been thinking, that's so unfair. That is so wrong. If I was that worker there at the beginning, I'd be saying, I've been working so hard all day. I deserve much more than they do, the people who've just come for an hour. And Kenneth Bailey in his book about Jesus through Middle Eastern eyes says this, words to this effect. He says, that manager is not acting out of what the people deserve. He's acting from what they need. Because every time he goes to that pool of workers and he sees people standing there, what they're doing is they're standing there saying, I really need a day's salary. 
I've got a family, I've got children, I've got a situation at home that needs money, that needs finance, that needs provision, that needs help. And the best thing I can do is just stand here and make myself available and hope somebody comes and chooses me to work in the vineyard. And they can see people throughout the day moving and being chosen and taken away and and they're still standing there. Five o'clock in the afternoon, they're still standing there waiting. And then the manager comes and says, you can come. And they go and they do an hour's work and they get paid exactly the same. Can you imagine how you would feel? Lord God, I need this salary. I can go home with my head held high and say to my children and my family, I've earned a day's wage. It's not what you deserve, but it's what you need. And there are some of us this morning that need something from Jesus. We need to hear that we matter. We need to see that we're noticed. We need to hear that we're accepted. We need to know that we're forgiven for the things that we've done in the past, and we need to know we're forgiven for the things that we'll do in the future. We need to know that we matter to God and that we matter to Jesus, and we need to know that our future is secure. Whatever happens, however good things go, however badly things go, our future is secure in heaven, is secure in the relationship with Jesus. That's what we need. Amen. Or as the cat would say, wow. I just imagine Jesus astonishing his listeners. Oh, Jesus, I don't deserve the grace that you want to give me. I don't deserve the love and the acceptance that you want to give me. If you knew my life, you wouldn't want anything to do with me. Jesus says, but you need me. But you need me. I want to finish... Uh, I'm just going to speak for a little bit longer, if that's okay. And then I'll invite the band up. And we'll, we'll just ask the Holy Spirit to come and reveal Jesus to us personally and corporately. But Jesus goes on in verse 30 to say this, which makes a little bit more sense when you know about the parable and things like that and the children who came to him. But many who seem to be important now will be the least important then. And those who are considered least here will be the greatest then. And as I was preparing and as we've been thinking and as Josh was saying last week about Holy Spirit, show me Jesus. I I don't want to teach this bit. I just want to share with you what came into my heart as I read that verse. Is that okay? So it may not be strictly what this verse means, but my prayer is, show me Jesus. And I read this verse and just the thought that came into my mind was, Jesus is the one who deserves to be called the greatest. Jesus was there when the world was created. He was co-ruling with God in the very beginning. And he, has the, he is the one who deserves to be called the greatest. He is the one who had the trappings of heaven. The glory of heaven is his right and his due. Amen? And he decided that he would give that up. He was asked by his father to give that up and to come down to this earth to be born as a human being to divest himself of the glory of heaven, which was his right, and what he deserved, to say, I will come and serve. I will come as a baby. I will learn to live as a human being. I will not fast forward my growing up period like in a superhero movie montage. I will live every single day as a child, as a teenager. I will learn what it's like to be hurt and to be seeing the sufferings that the people who are oppressed by the Romans are experiencing. I will become lesser even though I deserve to be the greatest. 
But then he doesn't stop. He says, not only am I going to become the lesser, through my obedience to my heavenly father, I will become the least. I will see a friend betray me. I will, take, I will allow myself to be led to a cross. I will hang on the cross. I will allow them to pin nails onto my, into my body. I will let them torture me and mock me and abuse me. And I will, be not, I will not resist. I will allow myself to go to a place that is the, uh, the least of the least. I'm not even going to be crucified inside the city. I'm going to be crucified outside the city where the worst of the worst people go. And Jesus died. And as he died, he said, Father, forgive them, because that's what they needed to hear. That's what he you need to hear. Father, forgive them. And then, three days later, he rose again. And God brought him back to life, and he left all of the sin, the shame, the guilt, all of the things that want to separate us from God. He left them there, said, I've dealt with that. They're done. They're defeated. They have no more power. And after some time on earth, he was ascended to heaven. It means he went back to God. And he went back to the Father's throne. And he is there now, ruling and reigning, and wanting us to join in with him through the power of his Holy Spirit. And in Philippians, it says there will come a day when every knee will bow. When it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. It doesn't mean whether you're alive or dead. It means every single body will recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he will be recognized by all as the greatest. The greatest became the lesser, became the least. Becomes the greatest. And we can join him in that journey. What is it worth to follow Jesus? You become the greatest. You co-rule with Christ. You, get, you, get, you inherit grace. You get what you need. As the cat said... Wow. Can I invite you and can I invite you just to pause for a moment? And as we respond this morning, Chris is gonna come back a little later. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, or you're listening in line and you're not a Christian and you're thinking to yourself, Yeah, that's something I I'm interested, it's something I'd like to do. In fact, I'd even like to decide to do that today. Use these next few moments to crystallize that thinking in your mind and then Chris will lead us in a prayer in shortly after the next few songs. But for all of us, I want to invite us to welcome the Holy Spirit, continue to welcome the Holy Spirit. So if you feel comfortable closing your eyes, you don't have to, but just feel comfortable closing your eyes. Nothing, I'm not going to ask you to do anything uh, other than think. Holy Spirit, would you reveal Jesus? And if you're willing to do this, make that your prayer in this precise moment. Spirit of God, show me Jesus. And I want to ask the Holy Spirit specifically this morning to drop into our minds a phrase, a word, a teaching from Jesus, something that Jesus said. Holy Spirit, drop that into our minds now. It will be different for everybody in this room probably. And allow that thought to come into your mind as a gift from God. Don't dismiss it and say, well, that's not a very interesting one, or I can probably think of something better. Just take the one that the Holy Spirit has revealed to you right now. And just play it over in your mind. Say it over a few times in your mind. If you're not so familiar with the Bible, if you're not sure about what Jesus has said, let me give you one to think on. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, 
and I am the life. And as you think about that teaching, as you think about that, allow yourself to be wowed. And think about what that shows you about the character of Jesus. Does it show you his compassion? Does it show you his authority? Does it show you his mercy, his love, his acceptance, his welcome, his humour? Spirit of God, reveal Jesus. And as we come to our final songs, Josh said last week that one of the things the Holy Spirit does, and that's true, is that it fuses the words of the songs that we sing with the actions and the work he wants to do. And so as we sing this song, bring to that not just the words on the screen but bring that bring to that what you've been thinking about use that to worship Jesus as he's been revealed to you this morning and let's allow that to lift our worship as a sacrifice of praise Father we don't deserve your love but we need it I'm just going to hand over now to Anna and the band to lead us through the next few songs would you like to stand Let's open ourselves and say, Jesus, be present here now. Holy Spirit, show me Jesus.